Welcome, world, to another episode of Nobody's a Nobody podcast with me, Mike McVeigh. This is the podcast where I talk to people I find absolutely interesting, and I believe you will too if you give them a chance. This week, we have the spirit healer, Spencer Tripwell, and Jarvix's hot dog song of the week is featuring Dead Weeks' Must Be My Luck. Now, you're probably looking at this and going, hey, was it episode one on August 1st and episode two is now on September 7th? Uh, yeah, and I apologize for that. And also, it's on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday morning, depending on when you're hearing this. And normally, I release on a Sunday night or a Monday morning. Yeah. Um, August is rough. I don't know about you. It's rough for me. It's rough for a lot of people I know. And... <laughs> Let's just say it the easy way, it sucked in a lot of ways. Um, I am glad September's here. I'm looking forward to October. Uh, some of you asked about my dog, uh, knowing how to have surgery, and um, she's fine. Um, we've had some other issues that came up, but, you know, it is it is what it is. And I hate saying that phrase because it sounds so trite, but it is um, where we are, and it helps form us who we're going to be. Now, today we have a very special guest. Um, my friend Matt Jensen is the one who introduced me to Spencer Tribwell. He's our spirit healer. Spencer is what we call an intuitive medicine and energy healer and guide. He runs Creative Living and Friends and from a studio in Seattle, Washington. Uh, he's known for Squirrel Camp Family Values. He does some shamanism. And ultimately, he's just trying, to, like the rest of us, how to figure out life. Uh, we're going to talk about a whole lot of interesting things, some things that I know I've grown in the conversation with him. I hope you will too. There is a little bit of language. So if that's a trigger, please don't listen through the interview. Wait for the song at the end. Also, we talk about a little bit of religious stuff. So if religion makes you uncomfortable, um, however, I think it's a, it's a positive note, um, coming two different people come from different worlds who are trying to find ways to connect and celebrate the world and life that we have. So without further ado, let me welcome our spirit healer, Spencer Trib. But you just came back from a experience, an experience, and why don't we just start with that? You you said it's pretty profound and let's just start with that, sir. Yeah. So um yeah, the experience that I had this weekend, um I'm just gonna assume that since when I asked if it was okay to talk about plant medicine and you didn't tell me it's not that it's okay to talk about plant medicine. Yeah. You, you talk about what you need to talk about and I'll ask questions that I hope aren't too horrible. <laughs> okay, great. Um, yeah. So I'll just get right into it. Um, I sat in a ceremony this weekend with a magical, magical element, um, that has been called, um, by some, the spirit molecule. And that's DMT. And um, the particular flavor of DMT that I sat with was 5-MeO-DMT, which is, um, yeah, it's like plugging right into the original source and remembering, 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 remembering. So... For someone like me, he's been pretty conservative, straight-laced. What is DMT? At first, I thought you said TNT, and I was like, oh, wow, dynamite. But what what is DMT? I would say DMT is, um, per my experience, and I certainly don't consider myself an expert, um, 
DMT would be the inverse of TNT. So while TNT would be a massive explosion, DMT is kind of a, an inward implosion. Please go on. <laughs> so in this case, my intention going in was, um, was to really deeply connect with my own medicine. And when I say medicine, I mean like my offering, my gifts, what I have to bring to the world. And I've been in a space where I've been coming back to center. And my intention has been to bring everything that I give to the world through the heart, all the way through the heart. And so I came into this ceremony with that intention. And, and more specifically, the intention is to remember the original blueprints that I came into this life with for this chapter. I believe that, and I have direct experience of being on the other side of this veil before being born here as a human being. And to touch in with that other side of what it is to be alive. So far in my experience of DMT, that's something that's available. Okay, great. Um, and let's, I know that you talked about going to a ceremony. What was the name of that ceremony or what was the event exactly? Mm, so I will say this. Um, that was a, that was a ceremony held in a temple and um, it is something that if I were to say more about it, I would be extending an inv invitation. And, um, you know, since we're talking to many people that I don't know, um, I wouldn't be extending that invitation, um, you know, without having like deep, close relationships. So I'll, I would say that, um, yeah, yeah, maybe it, it's, it's just kind of private in that regard. Okay. That's fair. Um, well, I know for a lot of the podcast episodes we've had specifically through the first season, this is some of the things we're going to talk about are going to be definitely a little bit different. Uh, most of the, or at least initially, most of the people are from kind of the South central United States and, uh, and you come from the West coast. If I am reading correctly on your bio and stuff, and yes. you deal with a lot of cool areas that I'm, I'm actually really interested to hear more about. Um, and one of the things that we talk about in the podcast is that nobody's a nobody that everybody's somebody. And sometimes hearing stories that are different that, might seem completely foreign uh, to someone here in Oklahoma or Texas. Um, you know, I'm probably just as foreign going over to Seattle or <laughs> um, with the way that I view things. So if, if I ask questions that sound like um, just pure stupidity to you, um, just understand that I, I'm good at being stupid. So, <laughs> um, so you, you run a couple different things. Uh, one of the things is you do the creative living and friends. Um, and talk about that a little bit. What, explain some of that. Totally. So um, I just want to say for anyone who's listening, if you're hearing any background noise, I live in a, um, I live in a community with a number of other people and there's just kind of always something happening here. So, um, and I'd say that's kind of a segue into what is creative living and friends, you know, creative living is, it's a, it's a way of being that's like the acknowledgement that we have this power inside of us this power is creator beings. And it's a nod to this, this spirituality that I 
pointed at when we were speaking a little bit earlier. And it's that reminder that we all have something in us that is unique. And the end friends part is that when we come together in this way in medicine and ceremony and mentorship, that we all grow together. So it's like the way that I lead is that we all grow together. I'm not trying to lead from like, you know, I have something to teach you that you don't already know. It's really like I'm holding space for you to remember because if we're doing this dance together, like, and if we're sharing space together, you know, and we're talking about this, then there's something, there's something deeper that we get to reveal and allow and invite people to come into. So it's, you know, really holding that heart centered space and remembering that the heart is where all of that magic comes from. I like that you use the term dance that definitely creates some different uh, visuals in my mind that, you know, dancing always requires, well, most dancing, I guess there's some individual dancing, you go Justin Timberlake or something, but a lot of dancing requires a partner. And when one, moves in a certain way the partner has to match that movement and so uh, especially like in square dancing and some of the other style dancings where a lot of people are involved kind of like this community you're talking about that um, when you move into a certain space um, other people have to create the space to allow you to get into that space but at the same time they're taking on a different space and moving in um, again specifically square dancing you know your, your partner changes constantly even though um, you're all doing the same dance and you're in the same physical space, but you're, you're always creating something together. It's never just an individual thing. So I, I, li I like the, that that's what um, you guys are kind of doing with the creative living and friends. Um, I'm actually going to jump. I know there's some, there's really cool stuff that I do want to talk about. Maybe it will come out, out of this, but one of the things uh, when you sent me kind of your bio and stuff, uh, and I, I like this uh, making fear your friend and just starting with that, it makes me want to say, so I'm assuming that fear hasn't always been your friend or that's not something that's always been the case. So talk a little bit about fear and what fear looked like for before you made it your friend. Kind of talk about what where you were in that, maybe that headspace or in your life. And maybe we can gradually get to where we're frenemies and then friends with fear. Yeah, that's such a good question, Mike. Thanks. Um... And, uh, you know, my wish as I share this is that, you know, somebody who's listening can get a new point of view on fear. Um, because for me, I, I grew up really not being aware of it. And it was really, you know, only when I would have moments where I was like totally paralyzed by it, or when I was feeling forced into something, um, by some force that seemed outside of my control, like maybe it was my, my dad or my mom or, you know, like um, the education system or, you know, something like that, um, you know, or relevant right now, like getting sick, um, you know, that I would like kind of dance with fear a little bit. And it's, it's, it's like, you know, to use that, you know, partner dance analogy, it's like, I would stay in that dance just until I could dart away and get out of there. And, um, because it just was so foreign and uncomfortable to me and no one had really like given me a, um, you know, somatic embodied type of relationship with fear. Um, you know, that feeling of like, 
you know, like when you know somebody and you could even like know the touch of somebody without them even making a sound. Um, and where that really started to shift was when I like really leaned into creative living and, you know, asking myself, how good can this life get? How magnificent can I align myself with dreams that, that, that a previous version of myself would have said that's impossible. And as I, as I did that, I realized, um, you know, and I, I'd sought help and support from, you know, therapists, coaches, other healers, friends, um, and fear just showed up as this, this like aspect of myself that I just literally didn't know. And I had to like, you know, learn to sit with it and feel things that were really uncomfortable and hard. Um, but that became a catalyst for me, like being open to the, the way, you know, like the Taoists talk about this, you know, like the Tao Te Ching is literally saying like, you know, that, 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 that ancient Chinese text is saying the Tao is the way, the way is like, you know, that, that harmony where you're with life. And it's like, my experience has shown me that to walk that way, that path, like fear is always going to be there. And when fear shows up, it's like, Ooh, this, there's something, there's something here. You're either telling me I need to stop and slow down because the way is the other direction that I'm going, or you're telling me I need to breathe and lean in and like be willing to feel more than I've ever felt before and to go beyond whoever I thought I could be so that I can be changed by this life. Right. And I might like ask you a question, Mike, if you're open, um, you know, where in your life did you first get acquainted with fear? And, you know, is that a relationship that, you know, that you feel like you, you know, could maybe say a little something about like what your relationship is to that? Yeah. Um, I think uh, even though I don't, I wouldn't say it's the exact same thing. Embarrassment is maybe a form of fear in a, in a lot of ways for a lot of people. And um, I decided a long time ago because I, I, just, I tended to get embarrassed a whole bunch for different reasons that I was never going to get embarrassed again. And I chose instead of to take whatever went with what normally would cause embarrassment or cause those kind of feelings that I would instead kind of either be self-deprecating towards the thing like, you know, if, you know, a waiter, when I was a waiter, you drop something and it breaks and everybody claps and stuff instead of being embarrassed. I dropped something. It was like, Hey, that was me, everybody. You know, I dropped that, that kind of thing. Um, but the fear that I probably deal with the most right now. So I'll, I'll actually go, I won't even go in past, uh, is ultimately I always I'm afraid that um, because I because of the worlds that I live in, um, it seems like everybody's expendable, and yeah. I always wonder, um, and I always am afraid that whenever my life is no longer in the current version of it is, you know, my I'm, I'm dead, I'm whatever happens after that, that um, at most I might be just like, oh yeah, Mike was kind of cool or something, and it's gone, and that my life will be both basically, basically meaningless to some extent. Um, I mean, people might be upset for a couple days, months or whatever, but then life just keeps moving on because that's what happens. And 
the people that we think about either historically or even in our uh, family and stuff not 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 to the point of like obsession or uh, inhibition like being unable to do something but that I actually helped inspire make the world a better place that um, that it scares me um, that I won't or I haven't been um, and that you know at the day of death that it's like well yeah I mean he was okay but know whatever (laughs) and so that's uh, one reason you know i mean that's kind of some of the impetus for starting the podcast um, for how i work uh, at work is to make sure you know my employees feel valued Um, people i'm in contact i try to do what i can to let them know they have value because i I really do believe that as we give value to others um, it's it's one of those things that it doesn't make sense monetarily but when we give value to others we become that we become more valuable in a sense and not just in a selfish way, but just because, you know, uh, the more good you bring into the world, you can't give away all your good. It just creates more good kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that, that'd be my, that'd be an active fear that I, I have. I really resonate with that. Um, that aspect that you pointed out about, um, you know, how you can like lead, lean into that by, um, you know, choosing, choosing to focus on value and to give from that place. Cause you know, it's like, I will, you know, I believe and have experienced that you get what you give and that giving and receiving is like simultaneous. And, um, you know, so it's just so powerful to, um, you know, if like, if there's something that, you know, fear is pointing you at in your life like that, just like show up and lean in be like, you know what, I'm a fucking magician. I can give that like, out of nothing. So I know we talked a little bit about my fears and stuff. Um, and we talked a little bit about some of the place of what fear has done with you in your life. Um, what are some of the ways that, uh, cause I mean, this is really a best selling topic on mul- multiple levels. I mean, we, there's at least a few thousand books every year, not to mention millions of articles and blog pages and stuff that are talked about how do we deal with fear. But, uh, most of the times we don't say make fear your friend. So what are some of the ways that, um, we can start making that transition to whatever fear we might have, whether it's spiders or, you know, that no one loves us to making it a friend. Hmm. That's such a good question, Mike. Um, Thank you. So the medicine that has been the most valuable for me um, with fear, there's three, but the first one is breath. And um, when I feel afraid, the first thing that helps is to breathe. And, um, you know, breath is this magical medicine that we all share. We don't even think about it. Most of the time we take it for granted. Um, but it, breath is the first experience that we have in these bodies <gasps> as babies. And um, the second medicine is truth, rigorous honesty, rigorous meeting of the self, rigorous willingness to be all the way in the body and i pounding on my chest as i do that um and the third would be sound that's the third medicine that i love is that when we're in fear we so often want to become small and hide and not make a sound and sound is it's how we bring ourselves out into the world 
And as human beings, it's, it's, it's an, it's an aspect of how we create magic because magic is the, the will of the heart being brought into the world. And as human beings, what makes us completely unique from every other creature that we're aware of is our ability to create these sounds that bring our imagination out into the world and move other people into infinite action, infinite feeling. And so those are the ways that, that have served me in moving through fear. Okay. Well, let's unpack some of that. Um, let's, okay. um, you said breath or breathing, um, rigorous truth and uh, a sound, correct? Is, did I say this yes. correctly? Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about breath um, or breathing. Um, I mean, this is something that I think anybody that's ever gone to any kind of therapy ever, that seems to be both comically and, but also honestly is just taking the deep breath. Um, uh, therapists that I know, they always recommend the, the four seconds breathing where you breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds. Um, and then I forgot there's some of the four seconds cause it's four fours, but <laughs> three fours mm -hmm. in that case. Um, so like what, talk a little bit about the power of breath in dealing with, fear specifically mm -hmm. so a lot of times fear comes up for me around things with other people and um you know i i fear like what are people what are people gonna perceive me as like trying to control or manage that um you know that projection that image that ego in the world um and so breath is like you know, when other people are involved, it's something we can share. And when it's somebody that we love or care about, um, we can always ask somebody to take a breath with us. And it's a very vulnerable thing to ask because when someone's upset, they often will just tell you it's ridiculous <laughs> because it seems so simple, almost childlike that you'd want to take a breath with them. Yeah. And I think even like when you're alone, sometimes um, whatever things going on and, you know, around, whether it's watching a scary movie or something, but, uh, or maybe not even that, but having that kind of feeling like you're in a scary movie, just being able to take a deep breath um, to kind of just uh, solidify, to center yourself some. Um, and I, one of the things I kind of like about this and that this is something that's talked about in pretty much every world religion, um, you know, in, in, uh, for my faith, uh, Christianity and stuff, um, in the, the Jewish scriptures, it's called Ruach, um, the breath of God, and the breath or the spirit of God. It's a very similar thing that goes in, even into the Greek and stuff. So the, I know even in the Christian realm, the idea of breathing and how to breathe at different times is very important, as well as multiple other religions and different kinds of faith communities and stuff. So this isn't something that's necessarily foreign, even for um, people that might be, think that it sounds weird mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, like you said, it sounds silly, but it actually is a very effective tool to, um, to create, like, you know, what you said about, um, helping move that fear from, um, a negative thing to a, a friendly, positive thing. Mm -hmm. That word Ruach that you said, is that Hebrew? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Breath of God. Yes. 
and watch me. And then all my all my friends from theology class are be like, "You screwed up, Mike." Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, means breath or spirit, um, but mm-hmm. it's usually used in combination with uh, with um, God. So it'd be like Ruach um, Yahweh or Ruach um, El Kanai or El, El Shaddai. So mm-hmm. um, the Ruach of God. So. Well, that connection is the same um, in Sanskrit. The word prana means breath and spirit. One and the same. And I like that um, we go from breathing, something that pretty much as long as you're alive, you can do, <laughs> uh, no matter what the circumstances are going on. Um, and then we go into rigorous truth. And I know you talked about it a little bit, but go, go into a little bit more detail of what that I think I have an idea, but I'd kind of like for you to flesh that out some. Yeah, totally. So it's rigorous truth is really pointing at the truth that you can feel inside. And honestly, Mike, that's a journey that we all have the calling to go on in life because, um, you know, there's a point at which it's not always clear what's true. And when you look outside of yourself and you try and say what's true about out there, it can be very, very murky because now we're outside of any sense of objectivity. We're trying to label things and point at them. And you and I could look at something from a very different perspective and my truth would not align with your truth necessarily. But when we look within to feel for truth, that gets very interesting because you know initially it may also be very murky in here as we try and discern what's true like about our feelings but there's this phenomenon that can happen um of harmonic resonance that you know you can feel that feeling in the heart space you can feel you know when you're connected to love and breath and you, and you go into those spaces that are available, um, that when something resonates in here and it feels in a good way, and I, and there's so much discernment, so much distinction of that, you know, it's not like, you know, it feels in a good way, like, oh, I, you know, you know, want to like numb myself and feel good in that way. It's like, anything sometimes it feels good in a way where it's like oh my god i can barely be here with this but but it feels authentic yeah um and i i like how like earlier when you were beating on your chest at the same time that it that it's not something that necessarily comes intuitively um like it's something that you have to purposely strive for you have to struggle sometimes breathing is hard but when you don't get past the breathing and going into truth um, sometimes telling i mean again i'm using pop wisdom or kind of societal wisdom but knowing who yourself is you know knowing what is um, i don't really like the term right and wrong especially in this kind of situation but what um, knowing what is is it's sometimes what we think things are, you know, our perspectives. We've had a lot of stuff going on over the past couple of years with uh, a lot of perspective shift. You know, we talk about fake news. We talk about 
Uh, in fact, um, just, you know, Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter and all the different perspectives and stuff that go in there. And sometimes it's not necessarily as simple or clean as we want it to be. Sometimes um, we can say both Black Lives and Blue Lives Matter, but it doesn't mean that we're uncritical of either of those statements. And sometimes fleshing out, out and stuff is a little bit more, it's more intricate than just, you know, just a simple statement that, oh yeah, the world is great. Well, what do you mean by the world is great? <laughs> totally. Yeah, and I really appreciate that you brought up something that is like difficult and sensitive because, you know, it's those moments where we, we grow in our capacity to discern for truth because, um, you know, it's those conversations where it's almost like, you know, when you said that, I was like, ooh, do I want to be here for this? And I'm like, <laughs> and that's one of those moments where I'm like, wait, I'm going to check in with fear because, you know, like I know, like literally one of my friends was coming to an event that I hosted a few weeks ago um, called Samadhi Summer. And they drove by a sign coming in. I'm not going to say which side of the, you know, of the coin it was on, but it had them go like, whoa, do I feel safe coming to this event? You know, like, and, um, you know, and, and ultimately once they arrived and, you know, we had talked about some things and they got to experience, you know, the, the vibe and the energy and the people and the medicine, they were like, you know, and when I say medicine, I really mean like, you know, just the prayers and the being together and all that, you know, I'm not talking about plants, but like, you know, it's that, you know, it's those, those moments where it's like, Ooh, like that's where we're actually being asked to step into something, you know, whereas like, you know, my, my previous version of self had a staunch habit when I felt like that of like going for something sweet, like eating some sugar or, you know, like turning on the TV or like playing video games for hours and hours and hours, you know, to just like not be with that feeling, you know? Yeah. And that's like, dude, that's, that's real stuff right there. Like everybody deals with that. Yeah. And it, and it seems that it, it makes sense to me, your, your little triad of, you know, we start with breathing. We, we have to have a place to start and breathing is a way that does allow us to center. It allows us to kind of really be able to, you know, it's, it's little, I mean, we take a breath before we do something big, like, okay, I'm ready to do this. And then we, we start exploring that space with rigorous truth. And then because of even how, how we've been talking, we've talked about um, the breathing and we've talked about the truth, but it, there has to be something that comes out of that and kind of the outward sign of that, that sound. And, I'm, and I know you talked a little bit more on that one earlier, but go ahead and um, break that down a little bit more, you know, uh, or build it up a little bit more maybe. And mm -hmm. how, how the sound is kind of the thing that helps fear, which is this thing that was so scary. It brings it full circle to now it's uh, my companion. It's my traveling mate. Mm-hmm. So truth really in, as we've been talking about it is an inward phenomenon where you like, you know, really find that space where there's an opening and, um, you know, in that opening from the heart. And when we then ch move, choose to move sound from there, then there's this phenomenon that happens where maybe we even can't get the words out when we are rigorously dedicated to telling the truth, 
you will have a hard time speaking if you are not telling the truth. And so something that I've learned from one of my mentors is that, especially when I'm sharing sacred space, and by that I really mean just, you know, like being with somebody where I am committed to really speak from the heart. And personally, that's a choice that I make, like for every moment and every interaction, you know, but I show up as like a practice of that when I show up to, you know, sit in a circle with like my like men's breathwork group that that I do with um, with my mentor or when I sit in a conversation like this, you know, it's like very intentional. Um, but that movement of sound, it's like, you know, you can feel it when somebody is telling the truth, you know, even if you don't agree with them, like there's something disarming about somebody fearlessly speaking the truth without anything to prove, without an agenda and coming from a place of unconditional love. And, and, and that right there is like, you pointed at this, these connections that we share, you know, that, um, you know, where you're from in Oklahoma, you know, there may, maybe people are, you know, identifying with a little bit more of a conservative viewpoint. And, you know, and I'm over here on the West Coast, where we're, you know, generally looked at as being a lot more liberal, or, you know, whatever that means, but it's like, you know, that space of unconditional love and unconditional truth, you know, it's like, we don't have to agree to share space. And, you know, we can both feel safe in that. And, and every, and my intention is for every person in this conversation to feel safe in that, um, such that, you know, like, I would even, you know, love to have those like alternate viewpoints, you know, come into this space as we talk now, so that, right. you know, like everyone can be included in that in this and, you know, we can all learn and grow from each other. And, you know, that's like, that's the magic of sound is that, you know, through that feeling that resonance, you know, we're connected to everything, everything. And it's, I'm a pause because I see that there's something coming up and I want to hear what you have to say. Well, no, I, 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 I love this um, because one, I, I like the fact that even while we're talking, you're literally practicing the three things right now um whether there's fear there or not uh, a couple times you needed to center yourself so you took a breath um then you you started exploring both mentally and then you were able to verbally express it through sound and you're you're kind con constantly going through this cycle to um whatever fears are in your mind or whatever anxieties or anything else that i'm only using that term not necessarily for you but other people you know we don't always call it fear we call it different words but when, when we're anxious when we have um different things and you're constantly practicing. And in fact, it's, um, it's really fun to watch because uh, not in like an insulting way, but fun, like, Hey, this is a guy that's not just telling me this because he's going to sell a million books or something. <laughs> you're, you're actually practicing what you're, what you're talking about, what you're preaching, so to speak. And um, it's, it's helpful to, to see that practice and stuff. Now I, I just cheat. I mute it. And then I take my deep breath in. <laughs> um, but that kind of um, that's, there's a book I read a long time ago and it had uh, five viewpoints and these were all people from the same religion who were trying to explain what the world is like. And it would all, it was using different types of metaphors for plants. And one person thought the world had to be a garden. And so everything had to be just right. And anything that didn't fit in the garden was basically being expelled. And then another person like, well, no, it's not a garden. It's, um, 
a different I, I don't remember all the imagery but the one that I, I hated that it stuck with me it's kind of like that truth that you're talking about that something that they didn't have to prove they said no the world is like a, a wilderness and whether I like the other plants <laughs> whether um, they, they can be the more they can be weeds that can completely stifle my type of plant out or I could be the weed and stifle the other kinds that no matter what this is the world we live in so we can we can fight about who has what space or we can just understand that hey you know we're going to have oak trees along with uh, dandelions and weeds and everything in between you know um, so I, I, I really I really enjoy this um, and coming from a theological and philosophical background personally we always say that the best type of theology is what's spoken to each other, um, just having it written down. And I would say that goes for philosophy as well. Just being able to know what's right and to write it down, those, it is powerful in its own right. But you really don't do theology by yourself. You have to have someone to talk with. You don't really do philosophy by yourself. You have someone to bounce it off of and to, um, you know, to grow together, to, um, to create that space to grow intellectually in that kind of realm and stuff. And um, I'm actually going to move this because I, I, I think this is going to be kind of cool because when I think of it, I, I come from a background, you know, where I play um, certain kinds of video games or tabletop games. So when I hear like the term shaman, um, I think of it as a specific kind of a healer class or um, something for D&D, &D, World of Warcraft, that kind of, that kind of uh, mainframe. Um, I know from different movies and stuff. Sometimes shaman would get kind of put in the same school as like a witch doctor. Um, uh, and then and most of the people probably listening don't really know what a witch doctor is anyway, <laughs> other than maybe something on Scooby-Doo um, or that song that came out back in like the 60s. Um, <laughs> um, but you're involved in shamanism. And um, that's something that I really don't know a whole lot about. I know, I know kind of little bits and pieces based on different things, but kind of talk about what, what it, what that is and um, how you got into that maybe and we, we can have some follow-up as we go on yeah that's a good question um and i'm this is a delicate topic very delicate topic because um there's many many people that have even within um the world of people who would consider themselves shamans or not um they're not everybody agrees and um, even to call oneself a shaman is like, you know, it can, it can be a place where you're really putting yourself out there, um, vul being vulnerable and, um, you know, that somebody might really attack you or challenge you for that, um, you know, whether from within or without of those communities. Um, so that being said, and leaning into that, and I love this question so much, um, my personal relationship to it is that I aspire to be a good and truthful, unconditionally loving, one who may be recognized as such by another who would need the medicine that only a shaman can provide. But I would never come out and say, I am a shaman. I would never lead that way. And my personal experience with the role of a shaman is that I didn't ask for that as a, you know, as this, 
this Spencer Tribwell, Spencer Tribwell didn't ask to experience shamanism. What happened is that I went through my life not knowing where I fit. And I went through my life feeling a lot of fear and, um, and really trying, like I'd said, trying to numb myself from all the things that I felt because they didn't make sense in the culture that I grew up in. And I moved halfway across the world, made a lot of changes. I bought a house. I was in an amazing relationship. I did all of these things to try and like walk the path that seems like it makes sense in this culture. Um, America, like capitalism, globalism, all of that. And it just, there was, it just didn't feel right. There was always something inside of me saying, this is wrong. And at first my reaction for a long time was to point my finger at say, this is wrong and that's wrong. And, you know, maybe point my finger at, you know, government and say, that's wrong. But that didn't get me anywhere. It exhausted me. But as I started to have experiences that I didn't know how to explain, mystical experiences, spiritual experiences, I was looking for a way that I could be okay. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to be okay. And, um, and I had, and, and, and along that journey, I learned how to accept healing. I learned how to accept support. I learned how to accept humility and all of just walking that path. It just led me to discover that who I am as, as a, as a spirit, as a being is somebody who affects people in a certain kind of way. And people outside of myself started calling me like shaman Spence was the first time I heard it. And I was like, I wonder what that means. Felt interesting. And it was, and then, and then another group of my friends, another community that I'm part of, they, somebody, you know, got very like quiet with me one time and they said, you know who you are in this community? You're the shaman. And I was like, what does that mean? You know? And, um, and I just started getting interested and curious. And, um, and then I, in this ceremony that I was just in this weekend with um, 5-MeO DMT, there was this moment where I recognized I was sitting with the person that I call shaman. And, and the way that I asked that, of, you know, when I, when I had that recognition of relationship with him, it was like, it was like I asked it like a question of like, I am going to see if the words come out of my mouth in this space of perfect love and perfect truth. And if they do, then so be it. So I'm a pause there. Yeah. Um, and I apologize for calling you shaman if that's, if that's out of line. Cause that's, no, 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 please don't apologize, Mike. Not at all. And the, you know, we're all, we're all, we're all playing here. So um, yeah, no offense. And I, I, I kind of want to talk about this on a deeper level um, because again, who my target audience usually is and 
Um, I don't know who all the people, I have a feeling that your probably audience, this is like, yeah, Spencer's just saying the same stuff over and over again that we're used to. Um, good, but you know, it, it's like, uh, you listen to your favorite song. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I want to talk about specifically from some of the groups that I participate in that, um, I do think I see some mirror, uh, at least mirror parallels, um, to it. Um, I come from a, um, a tradition, um, called Nazarene and it's influenced by a guy named John Wesley and um, some stuff, now this is going to be both specific to what we're talking about right now, but also some of the stuff you talked about a little bit earlier. The, uh, uh, one of the things is the Wesley, Wesley himself said that the, all the world is a sacrament, um, and so therefore it's a sacred space, kind of like you were talking about sacred spaces earlier, but it's how we treat it that makes it sacred. It's not the place itself that's sacred. It's not... Um, and not to go against necessarily the church's teachings of certain sacraments aren't necessarily more likely to be considered sacramental, but how we treat life, it's, it's sacramental. It's sacred because we, how we come in connection with it. And Wesley, um, most of the traditions that came from the Methodist is the most popular one. Um, and Nazarene is a kind of an offshoot of that. Um, but we, we spend a lot of time talking about love and that ultimately, um, love wins. Um, there's a lot of, um, different talks in our denomination, um, well, not just our denomination, but in this kind of Wesleyan theology that talks about how important love is and that um, love is the love is the game. You know, it's uh, not it's not just being right. Um, and so in truth, uh, it's not just truth for the sake of data or facts that might be there to harm, but it's truth and love. And that's 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 a very central part to what it means to be someone that comes from that Wesleyan tradition, or at least it's supposed to be. <laughs> And even um, we're we're kind of a branch that call uses holiness a lot as it's um, as it's well watchword and song. You know that's our that's actually the name of the theme song for our denomination. Holiness unto the Lord is our watchword and song. And holiness is supposed to be a perfect love or um, the love that continues to uh, make us um, that continues to perfect us even if we're not necessarily ever perfect. And so I, I definitely see some um, parallels. To what we're talking about here so um and maybe I, I feel that i need to say it in one sense but i also want to make sure people understand that um, even though we might be coming from different paths and stuff we are talking about some very similar things that ultimately we we believe that love is a very big part of what he what heals us um that it's the source of um for me the christian god for you um for the um, and i don't want to speak for you specifically but for the power the magic of what the earth and um, heaven and stuff are supposed to be about, that we're still talking the same thing, even though we might understand it a little bit differently on the details and stuff like that. Would that, would, would that be fair? Yeah. Yeah. Everything you're saying totally resonates. Um, and I actually grew up in um, uh, mostly in the Methodist church. Um, and I had really beautiful experience there and still do when I go back and, sit in church with my dad and my family and um yeah and I really really super resonate with um you know that love and unconditional acceptance um that I find in the Methodist tradition as well and um and I mentioned it a minute ago you didn't actually have it have it said it out loud I know it was in your bio and stuff but um when I think of magic I think of lots of different things um 
there's the kind of the running joke that's on like Arrested Development where it's like, it's an illusion, Dad. It's not magic, and uh, because I can't, I can't be called a magician because magician is lower class than an illusionist. Um, <laughs> and then there's the the magic that um, you know we we see from um, various forms of fiction that um, uh, there's like an incant, and I don't, and I'm not. There's lots of different forms, whether it's an incantation or a magic wand or, um, you know, a genie in the lamp. I mean, there's just so many different things of magic. Um, I have a feeling that that's not necessarily the kind of magic that you're talking about, or I might be wrong. Um, what what when when you talk about magic being real and um, that it being a part of um, making this kind of the world uh, living. Un- <laughs> Sorry, I'll actually use your thing. The purpose, your one of your purposes is to share um, the magic of creative energy, intuitives, um, and uncover their gifts to create the lives of our dreams of, on heaven and earth. So, can you kind of talk about what mag- how magic plays a role in that, and what you mean by magic? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, when I say magic, you know, it's everything that you pointed at. It's all of that, and um, magic in and of itself is mysterious um but as it relates to our gifts you know let's look at the word magic itself you know magic is also related to the word magi magistrate um you know so there's this sense of like you know um you know magic is is creative in and of itself and it's something that commands authority and when I, and we're going to play with words a little bit here, very intentionally, you know, when I say authority, I mean, authorship, I mean, being the one who says, I choose and I write with my hand, I speak with my word, I speak with creativity, you know, in, in, in the Christian tradition and in many other, the, um, the, these holy books start with, in the beginning, there was sound, there was the word of God. And that is what created everything. And, um, you know, and so magic really comes back to that and we're back to sound. Um, But that, you know, that word authority um, and, you know, playing with these words, you know, it's every word that we speak, we're casting spells, spelling, you know, and this is like very, you know, like foundational basic magical teaching is, um, you know, a, a magical book, a book of spells is called a grimoire, um, which is, you know, really pointing at grammar. It's how you put words together and such that, you know, it's well known that, you know, we're, we talked about say correctness or incorrectness or truth that you feel that when you, when you link words together, things happen. And so you can focus on it from the standpoint of, okay, I'm going to make sure I say this with correct grammar, or you could say, I'm going to say this with resonance that moves me, that moves people. And such that we do that, it's like intuitiveness starts to happen naturally. There's an energy behind it. You move energy with your words. And as you do that, there's there's a discovery that's happening. There's a creative curiosity that happens. And and it's really being interested in this spark that we all have 
that gets revealed by us showing up just as we are. And, and to me, you know, when I say magic, that's what I'm really pointing at is I'm pointing at that when we show up in that way, we've all had these experiences where we're like, what just happened? Like, how did this person just show up and like, ask me this thing that seems so random, but I was open to it for some reason. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. Stuff just starts falling into place. And we have all kinds of ways that we discount that. But you could also flip the flip the script on that and just be open to it. And that I would just offer if you play with that and like get curious and, you know, stay humble about it. The more you focus on it, the more it happens. Yeah. I, I, I think there's lots of different things you just said there that um, I'd love to specifically unpack. We probably won't do all that tonight, but um, one of the, I know in the Christian tradition, especially in the Wesleyan tradition, grace is another way we say some of that um, where the spirit proceeds before us to be able to um, go and be able to respond to the world that's offering those opportunities where things just seem to fall in place, like you say. So, uh, and, and again, I'm not trying to do this as a way towards you. It's more just, I want <laughs> my, my maybe less and less listeners as every minute goes by <laughs> to, um, to realize that this is some, that this is the same language game. It might be different words. And there's definitely a different maybe source, but it, it is the same language game that we're playing um, a little bit. And I even think in kind of like cultural philosophy, um, in a sense, it's the anomaly that changes things, um, that the the magic um, that happens, it now changes the rules in a sense. And I kind of like that authoritarian author uh, or authority author. And that it makes sense um, working for an, uh, an agency that, it comes across as very authoritarian, but we create the rules or the, the sets of what people have to play by if they want to be able to get their driver's license um, or if they want to be able to um, fall in lines with certain protocols and stuff. They have to fall into this story that we're creating. So I, I really I really like that, um, that wordplay. And I, I can definitely – that is definitely going to be something that you need to put like on the – um, bumper sticker or a poster or something. <laughs> um, um, again, it's that perspective thing that we talked about really at the beginning, and we've been talking about this all the way through. Um, I, I, man, there's so much stuff I, I really want to... Matt would kill me if I don't mention this, so I'm going to definitely mention this now. And um, uh, I know you kind of dismissed it, I think, in the email that originally kind of connected us together, but um, Squirrel Camp family values mm. and um love it matt is uh first of all matt has been one of my uh, biggest fans um like just as a person like he um he helps me realize i do have value so like my biggest fear he's really helped me along with that and i know that you played a big part in his life in regards to that and one of the things that um he loves about you and he talks about it uh, fairly often when we when we bring you up is the squirrel camp family values and um i really not going to give any subtext to this i'm going to let you just kind of talk about it and um hopefully i won't have to dig too much other than go like yeah yeah <laughs> so go ahead and talk about squirrel camp family values totally so squirrel camp squirrel camp really is um something that's it's really like points at that heaven on earth and it's funny, funny words to give it, you know, as we talk about magic and intentionality, but um, 
but let's play with this. Let's dance. So, you know, Squirrel Camp Family Values, just to throw a couple of them out there is like, choose life, stay positive. Like, we got this. We came to work. You know, it's these positive affirmations that remind us of like, where our power is at in every moment. You know, no squirrel left behind. Um, rule number rule number nine. You know, it's like my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that your favorite one? Uh, because most time I think people try to hit squirrels when they're driving. So there's just like, don't leave a squirrel behind. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that is not what I meant, but that is dude, no, that's no, I, don't so... mean, I don't mean it like uh, purposely trying to hit them. I mean like uh, like, hey, we don't want to hit a squirrel. We don't want to leave any squirrel oh. behind. Um, oh, okay. That, that, oh, okay, I got <laughs> you. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Interpretation, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, okay, great. I Apparently, I, I have been known to get a little bit defensive when I feel like people are, like, <laughs> not loving on my squirrels. <laughs> oh, very protective of my squirrels. Um, and I, I'm sorry. Uh, so tell me what what inspired you to write these or did you write all these um, or was this like a group effort um, through the creative, um, through the uh, creative living and friends group or like how, how did these, um, I mean, it is very inspirational. And if you give me permission, I would love to um, post this um, and I'll definitely give you guys credit and stuff, but um, just kind of like, how did this come to be exactly? Totally. Good question. So um, yeah, the squirrel camp family values was a, a co-creation of me and, some of my friends. And um, personally, I was at a very dark time in my life when we created this. And it was like a light in the darkness for me. Um, I was at a space where I would say the darkest place on my path, where I was um, seeing demons everywhere. Um, when I went out, I didn't like going out into the city because I was facing so much fear in my life and also avoiding it at the same time. And um, this group of friends really inspired me because um, one of my brothers had a vision that like had me feel safe, that we could actually build a world that not only works for everybody, but is so unfathomably awesome. And I had caught this vision when I had gone to a very small festival up in um, British Columbia. And, um, you know, it's just to be in a space where everyone is so connected and loving that everything is available. And, um, you know, I found myself at that festival feeling like, wow, if, if, if people were in this deep of a heart connection with each other, like we wouldn't have problems in this world. We wouldn't have problems on this planet. And, um, and squirrel camp came out of that, of like us being like, well, that was their, their, their unique expression of that. And, we were, we all had our own unique seed of inspiration, but it was like, well, what would it be like if we lived like in such harmony with the world in the same way that squirrels literally live in trees, you know? And 
when we took that inspiration from the squirrel, like it started out honestly as like kind of a joke, but um, the more we started to play with it, the more like people just loved it and they just got inspired by it. And I think in part because the squirrel is so unassuming, it's so like disarming and um, you know, and it's like not to like over intellectualize it, but um, you know, it's just like, we took something really serious, which is like, you know, what at the time it was like, this was not a mainstream way of thinking, which now is like, dude, like, you know, you talk about fake news and like, you didn't say conspiracy, but like fucking conspiracy is like a way of life in the United States now. And, um, you know, and it's like, it was, it was a way, you know, like at the time we were looking at all of that stuff that is like, you know, become very out in the open now. And we were like weird and crazy for focusing on that type of thing. But it was like, well, what if we could actually, you know, just, you know, do something ridiculous and, um, you know, like change the world by, you know, talking about squirrels and trees and nuts and stuff. And we just kept talking about it. We just kept doing it. And um, I, I don't know, people for some reason just kept on showing up. I feel like I'm kind of rambling. So I'm going to, I'm so going to pause. This, is this a, now a squirrel camp, something that gets done yearly or is this just like that's just kind of a cool way to make it easy to remember so it started as a festival thing we we had gotten invited out to do um to like support a organization called conscious crew and um they were doing harm reduction at raves which you know like really for people that don't know about this you know like there was a huge epidemic of people dying at raves from you know, like taking MDMA and like drinking alcohol and being in extreme environments, they were flooding and over, you know, overloading hospitals. And so there were, there was a threat to shut these events down. And, you know, we felt like this was good medicine and that people were getting like life-changing experiences out of it. So we were like, well, let's, let's support this group. And, um, you know, so like, at least a couple of times a year, we would go out to the Gorge, which is a magnificent concert venue in Washington state. Um, and we would like, you know, set up our camp and our whole intention was just to like, make sure that people were being cared for. Um, and, 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 and really it's like, you know, going out to those events, it was like, you know, doing something that felt like it was bigger than ourselves. Um, and, and at the same time, it felt like it was important and it could tackle these issues that felt so impossibly big, you know, like, you know, you know, like, like impossibly powerful people making impossibly, um, impossibly big decisions that affect like literally everyone's life you know, and, um, you know, I think we all needed something to feel a sense of empowerment about that, like, we could affect change in that realm. Um, so yeah, it was like, yeah, it became something that we did every year. And, you know, it like became part of the fabric of this organization. It, you know, we kind of designed it as a joke to be like a secret society, because we were like, you know, we had spent so much time in the conspiracy, like, 
rabbit holes that we like knew all this stuff about secret societies. And so we were like, well, what if we just like make a game out of the whole thing? And, you know, whenever somebody asked us about squirrel camp, we would just be like, hello, elusive and like never really answer their questions. And like, you know, just, just kind of act like it was really important, even though it fucking isn't, you know, like. <laughs> so what you're saying is you're just trying to mislead me that it's no longer going on because it's still a secret organization that you guys are still doing secretly, but you're just trying to make it like, oh yeah, we didn't used to talk about because it it's secret wink wink but it's 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 not really that bad no so this isn't something that all of us can sign up for um without i guess an invitation that we're we're not quite ready for yet Um, well i mean (laughs) i'll say this i'll say this like you know to just go like full squirrel camp right now you know it's like squirrel camp is something that lives inside of like anyone who makes that choice and so it's like it's kind of a paradox like that you know, like I, I, I have people that look to me as like somebody who knows something about this, but at the same sense, like I know as little as you do about it because, you know, it's like, I can't take a credit for this idea because it's like, you know, why the fuck do I have all these squirrels following me around and like, you know, like literally talking to me? Um, you know, and like, why has my world become one where people endlessly send me squirrel videos as if like, I mean, I love it, but it's like, (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's like, you know, it just, it feels like this is, this is something that has a life of its own and there's nothing to join, but if you do ever come to one of my events, um, it'll always be there. And I, maybe it's the American side of me or something, but I, I just think of all the different marketing things that you could do with Squirrel Camp. Regardless of it, you know, I could just think of like the squirrels, um, the posters, the little action figures. Uh, uh, Matt showed me um, the video of the biggest squirrel you'd ever seen and stuff. So I could just see like you could buy these huge inflatable squirrels and stuff, but. Um, you can only get the official squirrel camp ones if you, <laughs> you know, get so many points from all your squirrel camp retreats. And <laughs> well, if you send me your address, I'll send you a merit badge for asking good questions about squirrel camp. I, I will. I will probably do that. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll put it somewhere and be like, "Yeah, that's over there." Um, <laughs> all right. So we've covered um, some stuff that that can be different types of sensitivity depending on you know where we are. Now, one of the things that you put that's a fun stuff to ask you about, and <laughs> um, I won't lie, this is one that probably would have, um, had you started with this, I might, this might not have ever been an interview, um, mostly because, uh, again, maybe, and I'll just, I do have a tendency, if I'm going to err on the side of something, I kind of want to come across as an intellectual or a snob, and um because it seems like the, that getting made fun of for being smart is a lot less hurtful than being made fun of for being some kind of lunatic or an idiot or something like that. Um, whether that's fair or true or not, it's a whole other thing. Um, but UFO sightings, and um, you put that you have some UFO sightings, and um, at least traditionally UFO stands for unidentified flying object, and through uh, media, TV, movies, um, 
probably the more recent one for most people is SNL has had a skit with uh, Kate McKinnon and uh, I think the most popular one was Ryan Gosling who um, talk about being abducted and stuff and I know you didn't put abduction so I'm not <laughs> I'm not trying to put um, things into your story but um, if, if you don't mind talking a little bit about UFO, UFO sightings and understanding that I'm a snob who will intellectually make fun of you um, please <laughs> please uh please share it if you don't feel comfortable then i mean share. i do <laughs> totally man i love to talk about this this is so fun so um the first time i saw something just totally magnificent in the sky i was with one of my best friends we were at the gorge that same venue and um it was actually the first time i had been there and um we were laying out in the grass um and it was it was just it was just getting pretty dark out and there was still some light on the horizon and uh, we just had such a magical day together. And I looked over at her and I was like, wouldn't it be crazy if we saw a UFO right now? And I was like joking, but also like it could happen. And, and she was like, yeah, that'd be totally amazing. That'd be so cool. Okay, let's look. And so we just, we just looked up at the sky and then I looked off at the horizon and I saw these like twinkling lights on the horizon. Like, What's that? And, and she's like, Oh my God, what is that? And then we, we looked a little more critically and it was, you know, just like some kites catching some light. And we're like, okay, okay, okay. We'll lay back down. And then we're laying on the grass again, looking straight up and I shit you not, Mike, we, within moments, within moments, we saw these two lights, double helix across the sky so fast that we both went, whoa, at the same exact moment. And we expected that everyone would have had a similar reaction. And after we saw it, we both looked at each other and we were like hitting each other and like making sure we were here and like looking each other's eyes, like any of these somatic resonance ways that we can like ascertain, like, did that just happen? Is this real? And then, and then we stood up and we looked around and everyone is just like chilling out, like drinking their beer, like no big deal in this field of camping. And it was, and still is one of the most extraordinary, astounding, magnificent, magical experiences of my life, Mike. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and the old me, and the old me might be even just like a couple of days ago, or even a couple of hours ago, depending on the attitude, uh, would want me to want to pick apart that and stuff. Like, well, maybe it's this, or maybe it's that. But um, I, I am learning how to try to just accept. Um, you know, people's stories. And I don't mean, and I don't mean this to sound dismissive and I know it is kind of dismissive, even though I'm not meaning it is that, um, this was definitely something that shaped you. And, um, and it's, it's a cool, I mean, I, I feel bad even saying it like that. Cause now I'm like getting in my own head and like, well, I'm not trying to be dismissive, dismissive, but I'm, I'm being, I am being dismissive, but I'm not being dismissive. So I think you, you, your eyes are telling me that you understand what I'm saying. Um, but that's a um that's something that's foreign to me um it's it's a it's not something that i can say oh yeah i've seen ufo or at least i don't know that i saw a ufo maybe i thought it was a normal thing that was identifiable and it wasn't um you know so it's 
Um, that's that's kind of cool. And so have you had multiple sightings or is that the one time or? Uh, yeah, there's a second one. Um, you want to hear about it? Cool. So, um, so I was over at my cousin's house um, a few years back and he was telling me about something that happened when him and some of his buddies, when they were like, you know, 14, 15, 16, and they were just, he told, he told me this story of how they were laying out on this trampoline, just looking up at the stars and they saw, you know, they were watching this satellite and they're all watching it. And then it, it took a, like a hard 90 degree turn. And they were all like, like what? And they all saw it. And, and so it really shifted their point of view of what was possible. And, um, so my cousin told me this story and, um, you know, to everyone out there listening, you know, obviously me and my whole family is, um, mad, but to any of you have read or watched Alice in Wonderland, you know, that all the best people are mad and bonkers. So, um, anyways, we, you know, like that night he invited me to go to a party with him at his friend's house, who was one of the friends that was there. And so I was so excited to go and it was on the 4th of July. And so we brought fireworks over and I like hadn't seen this friend of my cousins in like years. So, you know, I like the first chance alone I got with him, I was like, Oh dude, like, you know, my cousin told me about what happened when you guys were kids and and his eyes lit up and he got so excited and he was like, yeah, dude. And then, and then I said the famous line, I was like, dude, wouldn't it be just crazy if we saw something tonight? And he was like, yeah, dude, that'd be so cool. And so then once again, moments later, we like go to light these mortars and like he and I, like, we like placed the mortar and we like, like ran away and, you know, the mortar went off and then like i'm holding this um this uh what do you call those roman candles in my hand and the roman candle had an alien head on it and i showed him i was like hey isn't this cool and he looks at it and he like kind of raises his eyebrows at me and then we both looked up at the exact same moment and there was this it was it, again very like similar you know dusky not quite all the way dark and um, you know and there was a cloud up on the up on the sky and we both saw there was like this little, it, it, it looked like a, um, like a blue luminescent um, shape of like a rocket ship, you know, almost like the rocket emoji. And, and again, we're both like, what? Like, and we both look at each other, like, do you see that? And we're both just like totally dumbfounded looking at this thing, like confused and just, like, but also excited. And then, and then it was like, somebody just like flipped off a light switch and it just like, and it disappeared like a light turning off. And we we're like, what, you know, so UFO, it wasn't flying, but it was a very strange luminous something in the sky that neither of us can explain. And then when you combine, you know, what, what I would call a synchronicity, of multiple layers that it definitely gets pretty strange yeah and fun it sounds like the secret is all you have to say is wouldn't it be really cool if we saw a ufo or if we saw something um 
out there. So now, now um, we might have to have a little bit of like X Files kind of music playing in the background. And, <laughs> um, and, and again, I don't mean that in a dismissive way. Um, in fact, I, I'd kind of like if you if you're okay with it, I'd like to share kind of a story about myself of Please. Um, why I um, I believe I'm being genuine and trying to um, hear stories that are different. Um, I didn't know this until I was actually. Um, I guess a young adult, but um, someone who is, who's very been very influential in my life on lots of different ways. Um, he served in the military in the seventies and um, he was stationed in Japan and um, this was after Vietnam. So not, not necessarily in a conflict going on at that time. And um, a family of Buddhists kind of adopted him in the sense that they, he was the American military man they adopted. <laughs> and um, he ended up, um, the way that they lived their lives, the way they um, embraced life and what they did is he, he ended up becoming a Buddhist because of his, um, because of the love that they showed and the, and the um, devotedness towards this, um, the way they treated him, the way they cared for him and others and, and, and life as a whole. Uh, when he came back to the States, uh, different life experiences happened and stuff and he ended up I'm actually getting involved in my denomination, um, and he became a pastor for a while. And um, again, this is this is probably one of the most, if not the most, influential person in my life um, in multiple different ways. Um, and and one time I was like, well, when, when I finally heard the story, because it was a little bit, you know, I was still young enough where it's like, well, wait a minute, you can't have been a Buddhist and a Christian and stuff. Uh, I mean, that's that's just that's like evil. That's sin. Um, that's it's a very, you know, I was very binary in thinking, you know, like it's either this or that. There's no, there's no other kind of things. And, um, and he said, you know, um, I do believe that, you know, Christ is God, that all the things that the Christian faith talks about and stuff. But I'll tell you, when I was in the military, the, um, the Buddhist family, along with a lot of people that went to the temple and stuff, um, they were just as passionate and just as devoted, um, to their, uh, I don't remember which type of Buddhism it was, but they were just as devoted to that as any person that I've known for Christianity. And, um, uh, and we, I might think that they're, that they're misguided or they're not necessarily in the right thing, but I want to be very careful about judging them to a place when um, a lot of the Christians I see here in America that I come in contact with they're not, um, they don't care nearly as much about their God as um, this family and the, and the people at that temple uh, care about their, um, and, I don't, and I don't know enough about Buddhism that I can speak, like whether, how, how much they care about Buddha or Zen or um, the Taoism or, you know, the, the stuff that, that, that they, that's part of their uh, religion and stuff. And, um, and I, I remember how judgmental I was in high school specifically. I had a friend who was a Muslim, and I was so, so idiotic um, regarding Islam as a whole and um, said some really horrible things. The fact that he didn't, um, which I was going to say a really bad term, like the fact he didn't kill me, but I mean, I said such hurtful things that honestly it would have been um, somewhat justified because if someone would have said that about my faith at that time, I probably would have done the Christian thing and killed them. Um, <laughs> And, I, and I'm, I'm making light of that because um, most Christians kind of agree that that's not probably the thing to act on. Um, but, um, and, I, and I don't even want to say that I would say that you're misguided or anything. I'm, I'm at least in that point in my life now that I'm, I'm not thinking of it in that kind of way. 
but um, the path that you're on and the path that um, several of my friends here, even in Oklahoma City, who are considered more the alternative people. So um, I think you've listened to a couple episodes, um, but Jarvix, the guy who does the music and stuff. Um, he's yeah, I like Jarvix's music. <laughs> really good. Yes. And he has a new album out, by the way, just so everybody else can hear this, too. Um, it's Only Fish. It's a it's a beautiful album. Um, Rad. And um, you can find it. <laughs> no, I'm advertising his stuff. but. <laughs> But um, Jarvix is someone that I just, I love so much. And, um, um, you know, we don't believe a lot of the same things, but I'm like, this is one of the, this is one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met and know um, because the way he creates things, the way he approaches life. Um, yeah, it'd be great if every, if we did believe maybe something about faith the same or something about some of this cultural stuff, but it doesn't, it it doesn't matter to me as much as it used to. It used to matter like that was the only thing that mattered is that everybody believed the same thing and that way the world would be some kind of weird utopia or something. Um, but now I'm like, man, um, because of you, because of you specifically, Spencer, and I don't say this lightly in any way, shape or form, but the influence that um, you've had with Matt and um, the, um, the depth of love that he has for you because of how you've helped shape his life or that he's allowed himself to be shaped um, by your uh, by your dancing, by your um, by your shamanism, by just what you've offered to the world, and because of what he's been for me over the past year. In fact, it was about the past year that we actually really started to connect um, through disc golf and stuff, and then it ended up conversations through that, um, you know, led to um, us now meeting. But just that impact alone, even if we don't agree on everything. Or we don't come to the same, maybe maybe it's not so much we don't agree, but we don't come to the same conclusion about certain things, um, or we don't see life exactly the same. But I can't discount you or your stories just because it's not my story and it's not my life. And um, I thank you for the impact that you've had on Matt and several other people. I know that um, ultimately, I mean, my goal is the world to be a better place and to help try to make the world a better place. And um and I really do thank you for taking the time to talk about some stuff that um, might get me a little bit of uh, flack <laughs> going forward, but I, I don't I don't see that as a negative thing in the same way that Jarvix has been very impactful for me on multiple levels. And he's going to hear this and be like, what, uh, Mike, don't do that. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I want to thank you um, for being you and being who you are. Um, in fact, I think one of your quotes on, uh, what is, where is this? Um, you have a quote from uh, St. Catherine of Siena, be who you're created to be and you'll be set the world on fire. And um, preferably not on the West Coast right now because that seems to be a sensitive subject. But <laughs> but um, thank you for, you know, setting um, my world on fire through the various ways of you being you. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been such an honor to get to share space with you and to connect with you and, um, and your community through you. And to be reminded of, <laughs> as the music <laughs> goes nuts, um, to be reminded of just like all of the ways that we have so much in common. Um, and also to bring me back to my roots, um, you know, of like the, that we actually share faith, you and I. And, um, you know, to sometimes I get so far out into the cosmos that it's like, it's so valuable to come back to, you know, like something really straightforward 
and queer and um and I just I'm so appreciative of the way that you hold space for people and that you're interested in like people that are doing something unique and interesting and doing it in a way that only they can do it and creating a platform for 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 those people who are really making an impact um and I have, I have been touched by your work um, through the, the podcast of yours that I've listened to. And um, yeah, it's like something that I'll always keep with me forever. So um, yeah, thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing to connect in however life brings us together. Yeah, and, and I do want to make sure everybody knows that um, I'm assuming you're okay if people following you on Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, can, you can follow Spencer um, at Creative Living and Friends. And he also has a YouTube channel, uh, Creative Living with Spencer Tribwell. Um, we'll put that in the show notes. But um, is there is there any other way that if someone's like, hey, I'm really, uh, I really resonate with what uh, you've been talking about, Spencer, is there a way they can support you or they can get more information from you? Like what would be the best way for them to move forward with that? Yeah, I think the best way for people, um, if they don't have Instagram, is to just send me an email, spencertribwell at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, if anybody who's listening to this, or if you know somebody who you feel like, um, you know, would like to connect with me, I want to connect with you and, um, I'm here to support, I'm here to serve and in perfect love and perfect truth, let's dance. Yeah. We'll, we'll make that fear. Our in, uh, we'll make that enemy, that fear, that enemy, our friend, and uh, we'll do this together, both, uh, corporately and separately at the same time. Yeah. So thank you again, Spencer. Thank you so much, Mike. Hot dog. Hot dog. Hot dog. Hot dog. Hot dog. Hey listeners, it's Jarvix again with my hot dog song of the week. This episode, I'm bringing you a new track from Dead Week, a blossoming rock band coming up in the scene. Dead Week has been on my radar for a while, since a happenstance meeting in OKC's Plaza District a couple years ago. The band was dressed to the nines despite the heat, and the dedication to presentation stuck with me. I didn't catch the performance at the time, but I have seen the five-piece group since, and the presentation is still a big factor, I think, in what makes the band tick. The singles they've put out here and there jump off the stage in a live setting, thanks in part to some spectacular stage presence from the lead vocalist. I never grow tired of seeing high school grads putting their all into a new band, and it's been a treat watching Dead Week figure out new avenues to make and share their music for the first time. Boy, that makes me sound like an old-timer, doesn't it? Well, maybe so. Fortunate for me. Dead Week seems to be a band well-versed in the classics of rock, so maybe a bit of elder appreciation is in line, huh? I say that because despite their youth, the kids in Dead Week have put out tracks that remind me quite a bit of 70s, 80s, and 90s rock music, especially where glam rock comes into play. I'm not usually one to make comparisons, but the singer in particular has a timbre that gives me Dennis DeYoung vibes, which may have more to do with my mom's love of sticks in her college days than the singer, who knows. Dead Week is still working toward its proper studio debut, but in the meantime, they've been putting out singles here and there, including this latest one. It's called Must Be My Luck, 
and there's a pop rock angle to it that I think is the best one to rub the band's aesthetic to date. Previous songs like Loving You Is A Sin and Purple Light are a bit moodier, and Dead Week is very much a band that presents as fun and entertaining. Must Be My Luck fits that bill. It's so gosh darned bummerific that the MTV retro music video montage for a comically bad day practically writes itself. If you like what you hear, be sure to follow Dead Week online at official underscore Dead Week on Instagram and Dead Week Music on Twitter and Facebook. They're pretty active on all those platforms, and you'll always be tuned in to the new tracks like this one before they drop. Here is Must Be My Luck by Dead Week. Turns in my 
right, that was Must Be My Luck by Dead Week. Thank you, Jarvix, for that wonderful recommendation. And the hot dog song that we play is actually by Jarvix. It's from his Toe Tunes album. Be sure to check that out and check out his album, Only Fish. Um, I'm doing announcements kind of near the end this time, and uh, we always wanted to support Our Neighborhood Empowered uh, 1, oneokc.org, helping fight illiteracy here in Oklahoma City. Um, there are so many great businesses that I've come in contact with. I haven't done as many little advertisements, but, um, we will talk about some more of those. I I just want to give a shout out to my friend, Drew. Uh, we, we featured him, the insurance guy, and, um, he has just done so many great things for us as we've moved forward. So please, uh, if you're looking for insurance here in the state of Oklahoma, Allstate, just check out Drew Waters at Allstate, um, and finally, OKC Improv. We're getting ready to start up a session, our next session of classes soon. And I'm looking forward to learning more and trying to get a little bit more on my wild side. And some of you are like, wild side. Anyway, I really appreciate all of you. Thank you for waiting a month and a few days for this next episode. Um, even me, sometimes I forget that nobody is a nobody. And that means both me and you. Until next time.